Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Marie, Scott Pasco, Ellis Williams, your new Browns podcast in the Orange and Brown Talk feed. Of course, you are listening to Orange and Brown Talk five days a week. And now, twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays, you're listening to Gotta Watch the Tape today. Two big topics on the Cleveland Browns as they face the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. One about Baker Mayfield. One about this very good Indianapolis Colts defense. But first, Baker Mayfield. We're going to start with Scott Patsko. Scott Patsko, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape on your Baker Mayfield topic. So a popular talking point when Kevin Stefanski was hired was how well Baker Mayfield did in play action because Kevin Stefanski's offense has been really heavy in that in Minnesota. But instead of Mayfield reaching new heights this season. It's really taken some time to get up to speed with play action. So Kirk Cousins, so fancy quarterback last year, did play action on 31.4% of his dropbacks, which was six most in the league. Earlier in the season, he was as high as third. They just kind of tapered off. But he was always in the low 30s as far as how many times they were doing play action. Baker, meanwhile, finished the season 11th in play action percentage, 28%. And the Browns were kind of like the opposite. They ramped it up a little bit over the second half of the season, but still he ended up below 30%. So that's kind of where, where everything started at the beginning of this year. The thing that people pointed to last season is how Baker Mayfield, other than Gardner Minshew, had the highest bump in completion percentage in the entire league when he used play action, plus 10 percentage points, 66% of his passes he was completing. It was just this noticeable thing that, it seemed like the Browns realized over the last half of the season, so they started using it more. So, again, you bring in Stefanski, you combine it with Baker showing this great improvement with play action. Everybody had this idea that that is really what we were going to see. We're going to see him kind of build on that. But after three weeks, I was really surprised to see that Baker Mayfield was actually completing 10% less of his passes in play action than he was without it. He was only at 56% before the Cowboys game. Now, it's gone up since then. Uh, he's up to 59%, so it isn't as glaring. He's only about 5.5 percentage points below non-play action dropbacks. But the fact is he isn't doing as well at this point as we saw him do last season. And again, like I said, this kind of surprised me because the thinking was this wasn't going to be like that. So before I get into some of the, the big differences, I'm wondering what you guys were expecting and if – if this was at all noticeable to you, because at first it really wasn't noticeable to me. So the one, the thing I'm curious about off the top here, and I know we're going to get into sort of the, you know, the, the kind of play action they were doing with Baker last year versus the kind of play action this year and, and, and kind of Baker within that. What is it about Baker Mayfield that would maybe make him a quarterback who should be good? in play action, right? The the idea, Scott, is that you're surprised he was good in it last year and he's not as good this year. That surprises you. We'll we'll go to Ellis first. And then Scott, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Why should this be a good thing for Baker theoretically? Well, in the, in the simplest terms in, in football play action really should help any quarterback and any quarterback should be better when using it. I mean, in my earliest of football watching days, you think of the Patriots, you know, 07 when the offense, you know, Wes Welker starts changing the way NFL offenses are spreading the field and passing. Uh, they were hitting tight end seams and using play action 
and you know that's Tom Brady, a, a six four quarterback. So when we're talking specifically about Baker Mayfield, his height has to come into discussion here in the terms of, again, we're going to get into how he's using the play action and, and changing a launch point, but that is specifically is what I think is helping or should be helping Baker. And I think it is in the red zone, which is something I want to maybe get into in a little bit, but using that play action allows Baker to move his launch point, which helps shorter quarterbacks see their targets downfield. So that is how I think the play action should be helping Baker. But in terms of just play action in general, it, it, it is puzzling why more teams don't just rely on this. It's been a, a, since I've started watching football, I can't figure out why it's not everywhere. Um, but for Baker specifically, it's about launch points. I think. I thought it might be a short quarterback thing. So, so here, hey, 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 hey. How about this? Play action every snap. Boom, nailed it. Out. Done. <laughs> Gotta watch yeah. the tape is over, so, Scott. I just ruined your segment. Why would uh, so, Scott? Why do you think it works for Baker? Um, well, I mean, Ellis pretty much hit it there. You're moving the the defenders out of position and, and kind of creating passing lanes and 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 making it easier on a quarterback who maybe is at a bit of a disadvantage when it comes to height, like Baker is. But the I'm glad you mentioned why not do play action all the time. There's been a lot of studies on why teams don't do it all the time because it clearly works and at what point will the NFL get and can the NFL get to a point where people are using it too much and it, it, they're clearly not there yet because play action is working for for every team that does it on a consistent basis so um, even teams that can't run as well like you don't need to establish a run you hear that from coaches all the time we need to establish the run and then we can do play action and there's been a lot of research that suggests that that is just not true even bad teams in terms of running, can have success in play action. So it's not, it's not simply tied to that. So whether or not it's Baker or anybody else, using play action just simply works. Hey, hey real quick, Doug. Um, I, I love that you said use play action every time because uh, I am guilty of this in Madden. I've done it a few times when you're just kind of messing around and you do it. But when you, when you think practically on a football field, I'll tell you why you can't do play action every time even though doing every one thing all the time makes no sense just in general but it's about the offensive linemen um asking offensive linemen to play action pass protect is a is a tough ask in terms of exhaustion uh they're they're exuding a lot of force to say have a pulling guard do that motion and sell run even though you're passing so offensive linemen though it is difficult to pass pro just in general at tackle in your pass sets they can get a bit of a break, especially your interior linemen, when you just go traditional pass sets versus always doing play action. Your offensive line would get exhausted up front. That was a good football answer. I also, I also wonder with Baker, it feels like sometimes Baker can be, I don't know, like a little jittery in the pocket or a little frantic in the pocket. It feels like it does, play action feels like the kind of thing that it settles you in the pocket a little bit, right? That it's like you have to give that fake – and then it's like, it's almost like taking a deep breath, right? Rather than like you're dropping back and it's like, what's going on? What's going on? It's like, I'm going to do the play action fake first and here we go. And I can see why that almost like from a mentally would, would settle Baker. Cause that is when Baker is settled and confident in the pocket and confident in his read, he rips it. Right. And, and I think it feels like there would be, a part of that. Am I crazy? Am I trying to be Baker Mayfield's pocket present therapist here, Scott, or is there something maybe a tiny bit to that? Well, last year it's hard to judge that because he was still, even though he did better in play action, he was still responsible for so many of his own sacks last season. And I think I I don't have the stat in front of me. I think he's still leading the team in, in, in pressures caused on himself compared to his linemen. So, that's just something that Baker Mayfield just has to deal with. He's not doing it nearly as much as we saw last year, but uh, I think you do have a point, and a lot of that has to do with how they're using play action this year compared to last year. Last year, it just like watching it. It just compared to this year, it's almost like lazy play action in a way. It was kind of all right. We're going to do this, and Baker would fake a handoff, and he dropped back, and then he's under pressure. He has to move out of the pocket. He's got to step up. It, it did not create that calm situation where, all right, I bought myself some time like it has this year. Okay. So all play actions are not created equal, but, but 
you do see what what are the real differences between the way they were running play action with Freddie Kitchens a year ago and the way they're running it with Kevin Stefanski now? Well, the huge difference is rollouts uh, and bootlegs and getting getting the defense moving one way and, and Baker rolls the other way and he's out of the pocket, he's in control and he has options in front of him. That's the huge thing. He was actually the most efficient quarterback in the NFL last season on rollouts. He didn't do it a lot. He only did 20 of them, but he completed 16 for 285 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. So I'm sure Stefanski knowing that coming in here was very happy because in Minnesota, that was his big thing with play action. He was rolling out and, and Kirk Cousins was great at it. Uh, he was great at, at rolling to his left and throwing, you know, it's, an odd thing for a, a right-handed quarterback, but we've seen Baker do that over and over this season. So the rollout is, is huge. And I think uh, on one of our last podcasts, I mentioned how Baker was leading the league in time to throw. That's a big reason why he's getting this time out of the pocket. He's at 3.22 seconds. He was only at 2.7 seconds last season. And like I said before, Cousins also led the league in time to throw. So getting the quarterback out of the pocket is helping him. I went back and I watched, uh, the Miami game last year for Baker Mayfield that they actually did play action dropbacks 51% of the time in that game, which I'm pretty sure was the most for the Browns last season. He was 16 of 18, but there were only two rollouts in that entire game for Baker Mayfield. Um, Everything else was just straight dropbacks. And like I said earlier, he's often last season under pressure. So now you don't really have that. There have been a handful of situations this year where he's rolled out and he's had to cut it short because somebody got around the edge and was cutting that off and he had to just stop and, and, and do something. But, but that's been, that's been rare. The thing where I think you really see a difference in, in how they're, in how they're using him is, is that he's under center a lot more this year mm-hmm. than he was pretty much at any point ever in his career. I think I read a stat where he took like seven snaps under center at Oklahoma. He was at 65% shotgun last year. It's switched this year where he's under center. So you know, a lot of the play action last year was kind of that, that run pass option where he kind of stick the ball out to whoever was standing next to him in shotgun, whether it was Hunter Chubb, and then he'd pull it back and, and he'd look. But now this year it's you're under center, you're rolling back, you're faking the handoff, and you're rolling the other direction, and everything is under control. He's getting time, and he's got options in front of him. Ellis, what do you like about – so, again, there's play action and there's the play action rollout. Do, do you like Baker on the move? Do you like the design rollouts for him, or can you overdo that? How much should they be doing that specifically kind of play action? No, this is the perfect offense for Baker Mayfield. I'm really glad Scott brought up the RPO. College football fans may not like this, but when we talk about professional football, the RPO is a bit of a gimmick when it comes to play action – you can only do so much of it and that action gets repetitive. And a lot of times it's a quick slant on the back end, manipulating a linebacker and a one, two read high, low type of thing. What makes the rollout and the way Stefanski talks about it within Gary Kubiak's offense is it's the QB keeper. They call it a keeper. And then, you know, a, a fan might hear that and say, well, Baker's not keeping it on the run. It, it's about keeping it on, on the action and moving, you know, you can run it. it, it we've seen Baker do it. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens a handful more times, but you are keeping in hopes of throwing and moving the pocket, moving the launching point. The throw that stands out to me last week, uh, Baker faked, rolled left, and hit Odell Beckham on a, a deep comeback, a deep uh, out, if you will. It was more of a comeback. But he had a, a, a blitzing, I think it was a, a, an intermediate safety coming at him, and Baker just deep boot got probably a good – you know, eight yards behind the line of scrimmage, reset his feet and hit Odell right where he needed to. And Baker didn't take a hit there. The, the, the defender, the Cowboy defender eased up, but that's still a tough throw, but it, it comes with him both knowing the rules. He's not going to get popped there. It's going to be a big flag, but also just having the calm, like you said, Doug, the, the calmness and just resetting himself. There's a poise there that didn't exist last year. And I think that is two things. It's from a, how this conversation started, moving the pocket, giving him clear throwing lanes he can't see a lot of the times in, in the pocket. It's just Browns fans might not like hearing that, but go watch Kyler Murray. He can't see either. So when you, what you need to do is change your launching point, clear up those windows, and when you get outside the pocket due to a good play fake, or the whole line rolling right, you go left, there's no one in your way. You can now see. And that's what Baker Mayfield's doing. I saw an interesting stat on, on Twitter. I forget who had it, but 
Baker didn't roll left bootleg once last year, and he's already done it, you know, something like eight times, and he's seven for eight or something like that. It's a, it's a high completion percentage number. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of those cute, flashy stats that pop because you're completely opening the playbook, and that's what Kevin Stefanski is doing. He can roll right. He can roll left. You don't know when it's coming. Second and most important point about this when it comes to play action, this is really just how this whole offense is becoming a clinic on how – talented of a teacher of the game Kevin Stefanski is every detail matters the fake holding it out because even when he gives the ball you need to hold that fake every rep matters in practice because then it happens on the field and Kevin Stefanski has Baker Mayfield completely bought in to being an under center quarterback which was something he was not accustomed to doing until this season Scott there was something you mentioned that you thought the play action last year was a was a little lazier they're just they're more precise on the actual execution of the fake and that kind of thing this year. Yeah. Well, there's more things going on, and like you know, we mentioned the rollout and the boot. That's that's all part of it. But last season, it was just kind of, you know, just kind of lip service to to the play action, and not that they didn't just, not that they didn't try to sell it, but it was just something that was wasn't really working as well as you would think because I think a lot of it had to do with how far downfield some of those routes were. And the fact that by the time Baker Mayfield finished his drop, he was under pressure and whatever was going to work to begin with was no longer going to work because now he's in survival mode and trying to avoid the rush. So uh, the offensive line obviously has a ton to do with how well this is going to work. And, and last season that just, just failed for the Browns and how, however, however well or not well they were selling it, it just wasn't, it just wasn't working, even though he completed a good percentage of his passes when it, when he did when they did use it, it just he had to do a lot of that work on his own. So here we are. We're, we're talking about all the reasons that the play action is better in a lot of ways, the execution. But your premise at the start, Scott, right, is that he's not quite as good in it this year as he was last year. So what's what's the disconnect here? And then, as always, I've got to watch the tape. We're looking for trends. We're looking for what the the information from the past tells us about what might happen in the future. Are they getting better? They are getting better. Here's the thing. I, and the more I watched week one, on I, I started to think that Kevin Stefanski treated this game as like the third preseason game. And, and it just wasn't really what we were going to see from the Browns this year. They, it, it was, they, they fell behind early in that game, which really changed how, the, how they approached it, I'm sure. But uh, they only did play action 21% of the dropbacks in that game. And Baker was four of nine. So not great. But they probably had more empty backfields and shotgun in that game than they had play action. It just, it just was not what we've seen from the Browns in the last two or last three weeks. The next week against the Bengals, uh, it was up to 50%. So he was getting there. Uh, he threw a touchdown, had an interception on play action. Uh, but the last two weeks, he's completed 70% of his passes in play action. Uh, he had two touchdowns against the Cowboys. I think a real, a real good example of how he improved – how he's improved this season uh, is a play they ran. They've run actually multiple times in every game. In week one, uh, they did a rollout, play action rollout. Baker rolls to his left, and he has, I think it was Bryant, five yards in front of him. He's got Kadero Hodge, 10 yards in front of him. Everybody, those two guys are doing crossing routes the same way Baker's rolling. And he also has a receiver, which I believe might have been Landry, doing like a, a curl route, maybe 15 yards downfield on the sideline. So he's got these options. He, he could have thrown it to, to the tight end in front of him. He could have thrown it to Hodge, but he didn't. He didn't pull the trigger. He kind of started to, and then he stopped and he scrambled, and then he just ended up throwing it away to the other side of the field. They came I back. I froze that play in that week play? one. I froze it. They're lined up like a dance line. Three yes. receivers right in his line of sight, short, middle, deep. It's everything you could want. The play works perfectly to give Baker options in his line of sight without traffic in front of him, and he doesn't let it go. And it made me occasionally – I'm not as smart about football as you guys. Sometimes I look at things and I do things like that, and I feel like a crazy person because I freeze <laughs> it. I took a picture of my TV screen. I think I might even send it to you guys during the game. And it's like, what am I missing here? Mm-hmm. This looks like it's all there for him, and he won't throw it so i know exactly what you're talking about scott i couldn't believe he wouldn't let that ball go i think i think he might have wanted to throw it to hodge in that in that situation and there was a a defender who kind of 
I guess after you watch it a few times, you think, all right, maybe that defender kind of scared Baker off from that throw and he didn't throw it. And you could see Hodge kind of, it was, I thought it was Odell for a second because his arms kind of went out and like seemed to be expressing the fact that I should have been throwing the ball. So then everybody goes the other way and Baker throws away. The very next week against uh, the Bengals though, they come out and their first play uh, on that first drive, the first play is that same play. Yes. And they throw it to Jarvis for a first down. They come back and they run it the opposite direction. They throw it to Hodge for another first down. So it was clear that that's probably something that, that they worked on during the week to make sure that it worked right and, and Baker knew where he wanted to go. But it's those kind of plays you see a lot. And I've seen that specific play quite a bit this season where Baker's rolling out and he has these multiple options kind of staggered in front of him and, and it's starting to work. Because like I said, he's you know, the last two weeks it's improved and now he's actually five and a half percentage points higher on play action plays uh, as far as completion percentage goes and then when they're not using it. So it's trending in the right direction, uh, but it's, it's taking a little time to get there. Still not where it was last year though. Ellis, that line of sight stuff, right? That's what you're talking about that w- sometimes if he's having trouble seeing when he's out there like that and you have multiple options lined up in front of him, that really seems to be putting him in a spot to succeed. Yeah. It, and again, it goes back to changing the launch point and those, those plays you, you highlighted Scott versus the Ravens first, but then when they came back versus the Bengals and we're hitting those down the field, I mean, that is both capitalizing on your personnel, the Browns. I mean, this is why Cordero Hodge. And I, I really think uh, the, the not think it's pretty evident that Kevin Stefanski, Alex Van Pelt really like Hodge's skill set compared to a guy like Richard Higgins, because they have three receivers in Beckham Landry and Hodge who can, both get vertical, cross the field, run block, you know, these multifaceted receivers that are not just, you know, good at one or two things. They're a complete set. And when you have your quarterback changing a launch point that way, booting left, booting right, you need receivers that can get across the field, you know, faster than your quarterback so that they're there when he, when he sees them. And second thing on this, when you're, when we're talking about Baker booting, it's a great option when you need red zone, uh, trickery, you know, deception with the football. Baker's becoming really good at, at, at his mechanics behind there and the way he f- is faking the ball. The Odell Beckham uh, touchdown in Dallas, I think, is a good example of that. These linebackers do not know where the football is, and that is a testament to Baker, his ball handling, his attention to detail, and his ability to then get the ball out quickly. So when you're protecting him in that way, when he's ball handling well and moving out of the pocket, those things are, are great, and Baker's doing those things really well but eventually it's going to come down to being a drop back quarterback. We're talking third and eights, third and nines, third and elevens, fourth downs when you're trailing and the pass rush is just coming at you in that deceitful booting play action game. It can't be your friend anymore because the, the, the situation doesn't call for it. That's the next step Baker's going to take, but the way he looks in this system with booting and his ball handling, it, it's been an a plus through four games. Right we, Ahead, right before we came on, PFF tweeted out a, a stat. Baker's completed 13 of 14 attempts on design rollouts for 158 yards, two touchdowns. He's got the highest passing grade in the NFL yep. on those types of plays. So, um, and I think a lot of that has really come in the last two weeks. So, Scott, we'll wrap this topic up with you then. Just what would you like to see? What do you expect to see in the next couple weeks with Baker Mayfield and the play-action game both play action in the pocket and the play action rollout. I'm expecting to see the, what we've seen the last two weeks. I think the fact that even though the Colts and we're going to get into the Colts here in a little bit, even though they have a great defense and they've, they've, they've stopped teams from running. I think what I said earlier, you don't really need to establish the run so much to make play action work. They just need to, to run play action. It's just a threat of it. There's, there's a thing the Browns have done, uh, a few times this season, but one that really stuck out, I, I need to make a gif of it because it was against Washington. Baker's under center. He'll drop back to his left and he'll hold the ball out, but there's no running back there. The running back, meanwhile, is hopping to his right yeah. and mimicking taking the handoff and then either, you know, runs to a route or, or block. So you got two guys going in opposite directions. And when you see that, it's like, is this a busted play? What happens? But no, it's, it's Baker, you know, dropping back. It was, it was designed. And against Washington, you could see all three linebackers take a huge hop forward towards the line when they see that, even though Baker's handing it off to nobody and their running backs, you know, over here on the other side. It's just this illusion of of what might happen. And, you know, linebackers are so trained that they can't help it. You you, you end up moving forward when you see something like that. So 
even if they come up against defenses like, you know, Steelers defense, very good, that have stopped the run this season, you still got to keep the play action working because it doesn't matter if, if you're running well or not. I want to remind everybody quickly before we move on, you have a chance to join Terry Pluto at our Medicare Guide webinar on October 22nd at 2 p.m. You're going to be able to go to our Facebook page, our Cleveland.com Facebook page for more info on this. This is a webinar presented by Cleveland.com and Medical Mutual and will help simplify the complex process of finding the right Medicare plan for your needs. Terry, together with our experts from Medical Mutual, Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging, and Discount Drug Mart will guide you through the process and answer your most pressing questions. Listen, we know you guys love Terry Pluto, and we know this can be kind of a hard thing to wrap your head around. So go to our cleveland.com Facebook channel and click on the Medicare event for more details and registration. Again, this is for our Medicare guide webinar on October 22nd at 2 p.m. I'm glad we got a chance to do some Baker. There's going to be a lot more Baker breakdowns. And here's the thing I always say about stuff like this. Like Baker Mayfield is not a got to watch the tape topic because Baker Mayfield has 13 things about him that you can break down into a really specific thing. So the idea that, that Scott, you focus so tight on the play action, what it was, where it's going, what it can be, I think is exactly what we're trying to do here. Now we're going to get into the other side of the ball, what Baker Mayfield is going to be going against, maybe his toughest test of the year so far. We'll be right back for the Ellis Williams deep dive on Gotta Watch the Tape. Back on Gotta Watch the Tape, Doug Maurice with Scott Patsko and Ellis Williams. Ellis, you do something each week. You immediately are jumping ahead on cleveland.com slash Browns to the next opponent. I don't even know how you do it when you watch the game, but you, you've been analyzing now the Indianapolis Colts since last Sunday. We're now here on Friday. And what you have chosen to focus on for your topic this week is this Colts defense. Dive in, Alice, because w- when you did that first initial opponent preview five days ago, you must have seen something with this Colts defense that made you, wanted to, want you to go deeper. Yeah, I sure did, Doug. And before I get going, I just want to give a warning to the listeners. I'm about to throw a lot of stats at you here, a lot of numbers. Um, If my journalism professor at UW-Eau Claire, Dr. Mike Dorcher is listening, he taught us to never put more than one stat in a sentence and, you know, listeners get overwhelmed. Dorcher, don't listen. I know you're not anyway, but please forgive me. Just a heads up, maybe a a point of information going forward on Gotta Watch the Tape. Maybe listen with a little notepad, with a little pen and a little notepad. Write down stuff so you you can learn. There you go. Keep up. You got to like stats if you're going to listen to this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) There's no way around it. Keep up, y'all. Here we go. Colts defense, number one DVOA. They're the fourth best against the run. They're either top one or two in yards allowed, passing yards, points allowed, and turnovers forced. They're allowing just nine points per game in their last three. The Colts have an NFL high, seven interceptions. They're second in the NFL with 22 pass breakups. They're first in the NFL with two safeties. They're first on third downs allowed, only allowing 31% of third downs. And they're first with two defensive touchdowns. Hope you wrote all those down because I sure did. I'm not memorizing those numbers. Before we get deeper into this, you guys, and I just want to, rhetorical question here Browns fans are you worried but since the only Browns people I have in front of me right now are Doug and Scott when you hear those plethora of numbers this historic Colts defense the start of this historic Colts defense you hear that what are the first things you think of are the Browns facing not only their toughest challenge but is there a issue of strength versus strength here and where do you land on it you go ahead Scott uh I think about who they've played and four games into a season that really determines so much we're four, you know, we, teams like to break up the season into quarters, but even after the first four games, it's, it's really hard to definitively say what something is right. The Cowboys have the best pass offense in the league and the three worst pass defenses in the league. The Browns are third, those three teams, the Seahawks, Falcons and Browns, they've all played the Cowboys. So, you know, what, what determines what the, Colts have not played anybody great. I know the Bears what, improved to 4-1 last night, but I guess this is a game where I want to see it for real. I want to see what they do against a Browns offense that seems to be hitting its stride the last few weeks. I don't look at this Colts defense as some sort of historic thing yet, but four games more, maybe I will. 
At this point, I, I don't I don't know yet. They did lose to Gardner Minshew. And again, there's like there's people who tell you Gardner Minshew is what Baker Mayfield should have been, or I don't know if Gardner Minshew is the poor man's Baker Mayfield, or sometimes if Baker Mayfield's the poor man's Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew started off hot. The Jags have come back to earth a little bit. Again, you know, they're not they haven't played Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and that kind of thing. But again, it's not like Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers play for every team. So there are lots of mediocre quarterbacks out there. So I, I always, you know, my my analysis often doesn't go beyond looking at so who someone's opponents have been. I think I'm in between Ellis, right? I think I'm I would look and say, well, you know, Nick Foles and Kirk Cousins and Sam Darnold and Gardner Minshew, those are the four quarterbacks they faced. But also I'm not going to assume it's only that because it does feel like to me with Chris Ballard and Frank Reich and is Matt Eber, is it Flus or Fluss? Who's the defensive coordinator? Fluss. I believe it's Fluss. I was looking at that today. Cause he's, he's been a kid. Didn't he interview for the Browns job at one point? He was one of the guys in here. I think when Freddie interviewed, I think so. He did. I saw he did a TikTok with his family this week with his daughters. He did a little TikTok dance, which I always respect. So, it also feels like, I don't know, that this is a smart, competent team that hasn't necessarily played a bunch of great offenses, but I don't want to attribute it to only that because I also feel like there's some real stuff here, Ellis. I also yeah. feel like this is somewhat related to what we said last time about the rounds run defense, where it's, we're trying to figure out, are they good or are they benefiting from circumstance because teams are able to pass on them, so. Gardner yep. Minshew, just real quickly, 19 of 20 for 173 yards and three TDs in the opener against the Colts. You know, 95% completion rate, pretty good. He also only threw 20 passes. Right, and it, let's, let's just let's start with that Jags game because with everything I've been reading about the Colts, no one can figure that out either. Everyone's really just throwing it out. A, a, a lot of ways how we're just throwing out as Browns writers, throwing out the week one Ravens game. But you can't talk about this Browns offense and include the Ravens game or your, it messes your numbers up or you're watching two totally different tapes. So that, that's what really the same case is with Indy. These are two three-in-one teams that are both throwing out their week one games, and that is how they got the identity of a, the best running team in football and the best defense in football because in week one, the Browns couldn't run, and week one, the Colts couldn't stop Gardner Minshew. So I, I, I understand that, but I think with where we're at, we have to move past it because it is, it's a week one game in a, in a year that had no preseason has been like, unlike anything we've ever seen. So I want to now unpack a little bit who they've played their opponents are, are, are have a collective record of four and eight. So they, yes, they haven't played much. Doug, you just listed the quarterbacks they faced and the easiest way out of this is, well, you got to play who you got to play. Now tell that to Bill O'Brien. <laughs> I'm sure he'd like to hear that because <laughs> that's not much of an excuse that didn't help him keep his job. But what I'm trying to say is, when I wrote this initially, that, that, that Sunday night, Monday morning piece, then it, Doug, you nailed it. I had to go and watch the tape and figure out, okay, what's actually happening here? Before we get into that, I want to have one quick segment here, and I have a, sec- I have a third one too, Doug. You're going to like the next one. But this one I call Fluffy NFL Media Guide Stats. I, you know, being a- go ahead, Doug. You want to say something? I, I just like the term fluffy. Fluffy, right? <laughs> but this being my second year on an NFL beat, I learned very quickly last year that these NFL media guides after the Browns, especially after you know the second half of the season, Miles Garrett is suspended and the Browns look atrocious. They still throw you these media guides with a lot of real fluffy stats that still make the team sound good. You know, they're stats. Uh, but these are fun to read, and I think they deserve mentioning, even though I don't usually pay much attention to these fluffy media guide stats. But the Colts have allowed 56 points in their first few games. That's the lowest since 2013. Another 2013 stat for you. Their last three opponents have been held to 11 points or less, first time since 2013. And the, the Colts against the Bears last week allowed just 28 rushing yards. That's the fewest since 2009. You know, so those are some, some pretty stark numbers. We're talking kind of decade-long um, since that has happened. So I thought those deserve some mentioning, which help bolster the strength of this Colts team. And that's when you get to the tape. So we're going to transition now, Doug, to what you loved last week that we're now calling follow the money, baby. You got to follow the money. Ain't that right? Because here's what the Colts did. And this is why the opponent doesn't really matter when we're talking about a guy like DeForest Buckner. DeForest Buckner comes from the 49ers last year. Browns fans should remember what he did Monday night to that front. An absolute wrecker. The Colts acquired him this offseason for a 
uh, first round pick. It, it worked. It was a trade that really worked out for both teams. The Niners were strapped against the cap and needed to pay some of their, their, their quarterback situation and other guys. And they wanted to replace him with a, a rookie, a first round pick where the Colts wanted to bolster that interior of the defensive line. Cause Chris Ballard's obsessed with winning up front a, a theme that these, these, forward-thinking front offices, are it's, it's becoming a trend. They're, they're investing in these defensive and offensive lines. We're seeing it in Cleveland. DeForest Buckner, second-highest paid player on the team, making $23 million a year, only behind Phillip Rivers, and he's earning every penny of that deal. He's the number one-ranked interior defender, according to PFF, at 90 overall. He is, when you go and watch the tape, what makes DeForest Buckner so impressive and I could keep listing his win percentages, his, his, his pressure, his win rates, but it's not worth it because here's what you need to know about DeForest Buckner. He's a power forward playing against slower interior linemen. Think essentially Aaron Donald. He doesn't get the press Aaron Donald does, but they're, they're really becoming the same player. He beats up opposing centers and guards. And, and before we go down the rest of this list, your guys' thoughts on the tough day that Joel Batonio, J.C. Treader, and Wyatt Teller have in front of them. It's interesting. I mean, that, that's like their Odell trade, right? I mean, you, you're a team, you, you trade a first-round pick for like an established guy, but instead of getting a skill position guy, they get a guy in the interior of the defensive line to transform their defense. Scott, I don't know. Of any, I mean, if you're going to take a chance with an interior offensive line, would, would you give Batonio, Treader, and Teller, especially the way Teller's been playing, as much of a chance as anybody? To deal with somebody like that, but yet on the other hand, I think I feel like they're Aaron Donald ate Joel Batonio's lunch a couple times last year when they played the Rams. And like, I think Joel Batonio's good, but it's like, well, okay, Aaron Donald still dominated you. So, Scott, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's no shame in that, but uh, <laughs> that's the truth. I think, I mean, as pass blockers, yeah, I mean, this is this is the kind of uh, of matchup you want to see, especially in terms of Batonio as a run blocker. Batonio's coming off of one of his worst games of of, of his career. Uh, against the Cowboys, he graded at like 51.2. Um, but Teller, you know, has been dominant in that role. And I think we pointed out before that even when they run to the left side of the line, away from where Teller originally lines up, they ended up running behind his block because the whole offensive line has moved over. So, you know, I'm sure that everybody's going to get their chance against Buckner and the Colts are going to try to find that matchup that works best for him. But you know, it, look, the, the interior of the Browns' offensive line is the strength, and, you know, this is a chance for them to prove it. Is Buckner good enough, Ellis, that the Browns have to game plan against him? And does, does this tie into what Scott was talking about? Is this even more rollouts to get away from DeForest Buckner? Really glad you, glad you brought that up, Doug, because we're just going to keep this follow-the-money segment <laughs> rolling because what makes DeForest Buckner such a problem outside of his physical gifts, his, his football IQ and the way that he gets after the quarterback – is because, yes, it becomes a game plan thing, and it becomes chess inside the interior here. So when watching this indie tape, they really move him between being over really what three gap he's in. They play a 4-3, so essentially, in simple terms, he's going to line up splitting J.C. Treader and Wyatt Teller sometimes and be closer to the left end, or he's going to be splitting Treader and Batonio and be closer to the right end. And what makes that so hard for – offenses to combat is where the Colts place their second highest paid defender. He's eighth on the team, Justin Houston, edge rusher. He's got a 73.6 overall grade football fans. And remember him longtime chief, a veteran guy who they, they didn't really know. Well, first of all, Kansas city couldn't afford him. And then second, you know, you just don't wonder if he still has it. This guy still has it. He's a, he's a real problem when they pair Buckner inside and then put, it depends what side you're looking at, but if we're just saying right defensive end, you have Houston on the right defensive end and you have Buckner to his left. That really becomes problematic and could be an issue for the Browns if we're thinking schematically here because you can only double team so many people. So, Doug, to, to answer your question about how you game plan this, Buckner's facing a lot of double teams. You have to double team this man because if you don't, it's, it's what you guys alluded to with Batonio last year against Aaron Donald. You just can't have him one-on-one, especially on important downs. You're going to have to have one-on-one block him at, at times in this game. But on those critical third downs, you double him. Well, if he's on the same time, same side as Justin Houston, now you're asking rookie Jedrick Wills to take on a, a veteran pass rusher in a one-on-one situation. Can Wills handle that? We're, we're going we're gonna to find out. And these are one of these moments where a rookie 
either steps up and changes our minds and says, I'm here, I've arrived, or he just isn't ready and eventually will be. This is, if, if Jedrick doesn't play well on Sunday, it's not an indictment on this draft pick. I need to make that very clear. This young man is going to have a long and good NFL career, but he's got a really tough assignment here because it, it's, it's pick your poison. Are you going to be one-on-one with Buckner or one-on-one with Houston? And I, I just, I foresee that being an issue, especially on got to have it downs. So we talked a lot before the Washington game about Washington's defense and like an edge rusher like Chase Young and they have a guy like Jonathan Allen also. Is it, but is this the best defensive line? And, and Chase Young got hurt early in that Washington game and we all felt like that had an impact on that game. Is, is this the best, you know, we're talking about the best defense. Is it the best defensive line that the Browns have faced so far, Ellis? It is, it is. And we're going to keep going down this list and the follow the money segment is over, but now this is becoming a real uh, testament to GM Chris Ballard, the way he's built this defense, because now we're talking about draft hits. They've got a interior, they've got a defensive lineman, um, Mohammed, uh, 68 overall on PFF. He was a 2017 sixth rounder. He played hoops. He's a basketball guy. And usually see those players get converted to tight end. This young man gets converted to defensive end and he's really making a name for himself and exploiting one-on-one blocks. And then they've got another 2018 undrafted rookie, uh, Taylor Stallsworth. He hasn't played as many snaps. I could see those, those numbers upticking because his, his, guys in front of him didn't play that well against Chicago. He's currently sitting at a 77.6 overall. So I just listed, you know, four or five interior linemen there that mirror a 49ers-esque defensive line where they can just throw them out there. You can only combo block, double team, one guy, sometimes two, depending on where your help is with a running back or tight end. And then you're getting one-on-one with Justin Houston, which we just talked about, or uh, this, this basketball player, Muhammad, who is exposing weaker uh, uh, tackles right now. So it is going to be a true test and not just the run game, because these are good run defenders too. But I'm telling you, when you're facing a defense this good, and I'm going to tease it at the end here, but that third down percentage that they're only allowing 31% of the third down conversions, it's going to be a test on third down. And right now the Colts are winning those third downs because of how electric they are up front. So, Scott, there's no way that you and I know as much about the Colts as Ellis does because he's really been diving in on this stuff. But when you hear this, Scott, you hear all these, you know, not just one guy, but two veteran guys plus some younger guys and the way they're getting after it. This Browns offensive line, you earlier said the interior of the offensive line is the strength of this line. But when you look one through five and you hear this, do you feel like, okay, well, the Browns are ready for this. You know, we've talked about that. Sometimes your, your offensive line is only as good as the weakest link. We know how well Teller has played this year. Treader and Batoni are veterans. Conklin's a big free agent signing. Wills is the number 10 pick in the draft. When you hear all this, Scott, is, do you think to yourself, well, the Browns should be able to kind of handle this? Well, on paper, yeah. I mean, you, you're looking at strength versus strength, like I was mentioned. And I think of the offensive line, but really – I'm thinking more about Baker in a way um, because we saw how he dealt with all the pressure last season and often created more trouble than, than he should have. He's been pressured 32 times this season. Uh, 10 of those, according to PFF, are his own fault. Uh, he's been sacked, what, six times? Two of those are his fault. So you don't want to get in a situation where he's become gun-shy halfway through the, the first half and, and you know he's, he's been pressured up the middle a few times or – or whatever the case is, and, and he's starting to move, you know, trying to escape to his right like we saw over and over last season. I think it's important that he stays calm under pressure in this situation, even if, you know, look, it's a good defensive line. They're going to get pressure, but he can't take that and, and, and have a, make it have a bigger impact on the game plan than it's going to. Is that part of your deal here, Ellis, that, that this defense is so good, it has the potential to take Baker out of his game? Oh, man, I, I – I don't want to become known as this, as this Baker can't do it guy, but this is going to be such a hard challenge for him because two things, first of all, to wrap up this point about Chris Ballard, he went bargain shopping this off season, free agent, TJ Carey Browns fans are familiar with. He's grading out a 71.3 playing great football for them. Uh, former Viking Xavier Rhodes, who I'm telling you, everyone in Minnesota thought that man was toast done. He's an 82 overall on PFF right now. Those are two free agent corners that are playing well. They've got a rookie, Julian Blackman from Utah, I believe, a third-round pick who's playing well, a lot like a Jordan Elliott thing. They're hitting on their, you know, not a first or second-round pick, but that third round, fourth round, those players need to come play. And when you hit on them, you find out, uh, this guy probably should have been a second-round pick. 
that's a home run. So that's just three secondary guys I named. And now we're talking scheme here. Two very quick things on scheme, which is going to make this just a tough game for Baker. If he plays well, we're going to have to really start talking about Baker differently. This is going to be one of his biggest games as a Brown, just as a test. This team rushes four, drops seven. It's the same 49ers formula. They don't have to blitz because they're so dang good up front. They can create pressure without blitzing. Uh, they're, they've, they're on pace to only blitz 100 times this year. That would have been the second fewest amount of blitzes in 2019, which means Baker's not going to have a lot of one-on-one matchups to pick from. He's going to have tight windows. and going to have to let that thing rip. And perhaps the only counter to this is the way they're going to move him out of the pocket, which is, could be a good neutralizer. But again, this defense is both talented because of who they paid at the top, the draft picks they've hit, the free agent bargains, and then their overall scheme, being able to create pressure with only rushing four and having seven in coverage. That's not what quarterbacks like to see. All right. So your last point now is, is dealing with is it third down specifically, that this is where it's really going to be on this offensive line to protect and Baker to make throws so they're not constantly going three and out. Yeah, and it's two things, and that, that in a way is because you really only get to third down because of what you did on first and second down, and we'll just keep it as a second down thing. If, if the Browns can win on second down, then third down might be okay, but if you're getting into a third down matchup with this team, the stats don't back it up, and the personnel don't back it up, but you still got to go out there and play the game. If the Browns are converting third and eights, third and nines, third and tens, then this offense is even more impressive than we originally thought, but it's a strength of this Colts team to get you to third and long and to get you off the field punting or turning you over. So are you, who's going to win this battle, Ellis? Like, how do you think this is going to shake out? Or, or is this one of those games? I feel like we learned a lot. We learned, as we said on all the podcasts this week and everything we're writing, you weren't sure after Cincinnati and Washington. You just couldn't be sure. But it felt like Dallas, listen, Dallas moved the ball. They put up a lot of points. The defense was struggling at the end, but they found a way to win. So I felt like we learned something from the Dallas game about the Browns last year. Ellis, it feels like what you're saying here, we're going to learn even more. We're going to, especially, we're really going to learn about this Browns offense this week. We're really going to learn about the Browns offense. It's a little unfair because that Nick Chubb isn't playing, but it's more about we're going to learn about what this team can do in the passing game, which has really been hidden due to how successfully they're running the ball. Their hand's been forced. They're, they're going to have to make some plays downfield, some explosive plays. They, Nick Chubb's first in the league in explosive run plays. This Browns team's going to need some explosive pass plays, which – I just, I just don't know if they're going to be able to find him. You asked where I'm leaning on this game. In my preview piece I wrote Sunday morning, I was leaning Browns. Then I had to submit my pick today, and I actually submitted a tie. It was a little tongue-in-cheek type of thing. You know, no L's taken this week because it's just going to be a tie, 24-24. But if you notice a trend, now I'm almost, as I did this uh, deeper dive on this Colts defense, I really like what I'm seeing there. And perhaps I'm trending towards a, a tight Colts win. But look. We haven't talked about the Colts offense. We don't have time. They haven't scored more than two touchdowns in a game all season. A lot of field goals, but that's how they want to play. Defense, field goals, they're not going to make mistakes. But if Phil Rivers turns the ball over a few times or Miles Garrett gets a strip sack, that might be the difference, which those things are unpredictable. That's why they're turnovers. And, Scott, with, with what you talked about with Baker in the first segment and just the differences we've seen with the Kevin Stefanski offense this year, this feels like maybe even more than any game so far this year. What is Kevin Stefanski going to draw up to maximize the Browns' strengths and minimize the Colts' strengths in a game like this? How big of a, of a game do you think this is for Kevin Stefanski as a play caller? Well, I think making sure that, that he's getting, like Ellis alluded to on third downs there, getting good gains on first and second down because the Browns have not been a good third down offense this season. They had a better game against Dallas, but they were like 24th, 25th in the league in third down percentage going into last week. I think they're at 40% right now. Um, so making sure that you're being productive on those early downs so you're not putting yourself at a disadvantage because that's where a defense like the Colts have thrived. I think they have seven picks this year. They don't have any fumble recoveries, but they have a lot of interceptions. So you put teams in situations where they got to throw and they're taking advantage of it. You know, I don't see – look, if Kareem Hunt is healthy, I don't see why they need to really change much of anything. You go out there and you see if you can accomplish what you did against – the last few teams against the Colts and then you adjust as you go forward. But I think Kareem Hunt gives you what you had in Nick Chubb as far as a running back. So I, I don't see any, any crazy. I don't think we're going to look at this game. Like we look at, you know, that week one game now and, and wonder who that offense was. Um, we're going to, we're going to see what we've, what we've seen so far. 
All right, thanks to Ellis Williams for his deep dive on the Colts defense. We'll be right back after this with our final thoughts on Gotta Watch the Tape. Back on Gotta Watch the Tape, Colts-Browns in the second window on Sunday, so a late afternoon Sunday start for this one. What are we thinking about? I'm just, it goes back to sort of our podcast on Tuesday. I'm super curious about how they use Dearness Johnson. What's this going to look like with the second running back? What's the workload for Kareem Hunt? Something Ellis was very curious and concerned about don't overwork Kareem Hunt but against a, a defense that this that's this good when they give the ball to Dearness Johnson will he be able to do anything do they try to you know, do they end up trying to overwork Kareem Hunt because the passing game doesn't get going I'm just fascinated to see and I don't have the right answer I just want to see what this running back rotation looks like Ellis what you got Doug I couldn't agree more I'm so worried for Kareem Hunt to get 25 carries on Sunday you know where I land on it but we're, we're gonna find out um what I want to what I'm gonna be watching and we, we tease it at the end there second down is gonna be so important for this Browns offense what the way Kevin Stefanski calls this game on second down how productive they are avoiding third and long that's gonna be the key to this game it's what I'm gonna be watching and I have a feeling it's what we're gonna be talking about on our next gotta watch the tape Scott your final thought you know, as I was going back and watching all the, the play action plays uh, for, for Baker this season, one thing kind of jumped out. Uh, the Browns have targeted a tight end with either their first or second play or passing play of the game uh, in three of the four weeks. Uh, week one, it was Harrison Bryant or Bre- yeah, Harrison Bryant. Um, but that was kind of a, kind of a weird, he just, Baker just had to throw it to somebody. But the last two weeks, they've gone to Hooper on the first or second play, definitely the first pass. Uh, against the Bengals, it was the rollout we talked about, um, or actually against, uh, yeah, against Washington, it was uh, like a, a screen pass that came back to him again in that. Uh, and then against the Cowboys, it was their second play, first pass, they went to Hooper just to kind of get him involved. And I'm really curious to see if that keeps going. It just reminds me of like the late 1980s and how the Browns always tried to get the ball to Ozzie Newsom to keep his consecutive catches streak alive. They, they seem to want to get Hooper involved early, but if it, if they do it a third game in, the row, in a row, then – and I think we got to start asking what's up because uh, it just seems weird to, to keep going to him on short plays so early in the game like that. All right, big one on Sunday. We'll know a lot more. It's, that's one of the fascinating things about this. You want to just see, you want to see how they do on Sunday, but then you're starting to figure out, oh, that's going to tell us because then it's Pittsburgh next week. And then, oh, now here comes, what's going to do with Deshaun Watson later on? It's a, it's a really fun team to cover and to, to analyze at the moment. So we appreciate you guys listening. they got to watch the tape. Make sure you listen to us Tuesdays and Fridays. Orange and Brown Talk every other day of the week. Make sure you're going to cleveland.com slash Browns to read what Scott and Ellis and everyone else have to say. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks to Scott and Ellis for their great work once again. And thanks to you guys for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.